Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and of course, Follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Today, I have a fantastic guest. He fronts metal bands, but he also studies harsh vocals, coaches people on them, and does voice acting with them in a pretty epic and ahead of the game kind of way. It is Sebastian Croteau. Hello, Sebastian. Hello, Mary. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so glad to have you. I've really been stoked to have you. And so you're the front man for Necrotic Mutation, right? Exactly. This is why I was so looking forward to having you on and having the Voice Hacks audience get a chance to hear from you because you really know your stuff. You're not only a person who uses the harsh vocals in your career, you do acting with it. We're going to get into that shortly because that's a really hugely interesting thing that started to come up a lot. But the other thing is, is you've studied these sounds. You've actually gone out of your way and done studies and you also do things uh, that aren't quite harsh vocals, but that use some of the same tissues and cartilages like throat singing. Exactly. And, and actually, the way I studied Arsh vocal is by accident, is that in, in around 97, you know, I, I, I remember I, I was looking at a movie. The, the movie is Baraka. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is a beautiful. Yeah, exactly. And there was like in the movie at some point, there's this guy singing and it looks like there's two different notes. I, I was like, what? I think I know what you're talking about because I've seen that yeah. a few times. It, it, Basically, it's David Hikes, and the, the singer is David Hikes, uh, the harmonic choir, because he's actually is doing diphonic, what we call diphonic singing. I see. Or, or as the, the people from Mongolia and Tuva, it's it's in the family throat singing. It's called Sigit. So biphonic singing. Yeah, exactly. Diphonic singing, where it means there's two sounds. Oh, diphonic, the, uh, not bi. Yeah, diphonic. Exactly. Just, I'm sorry. Uh, that's making a definition. That's my my French pronunciation. No, no, no. Because <laughs> I think the D and B would be the same in English and French. But I think just, you know, over the video, over the call, I might not. I just was probably not hearing it right. <laughs> and yeah, I was listening to that. I was like, this is amazing. Somebody can really do that with his voice. So I made some research. And then I, I found out it was called diphonic singing and it was actually something that a derivative of some throat singing techniques in Mongolia and in, in Tuva and in Tibet also. 
So I, I was kind of looking for some people in Montreal to actually show me that kind of thing. And one day, my girlfriend's drummer came to me because she read an article in like a pop culture magazine called Chatelaine. And there was an article about a throat singing teacher in Montreal. Whoa. So immediately I contacted him like, and I, I phoned the guy. I said, hey, my name is Sebastien. I'm, I'm looking to have throat singing techniques because I think it's amazing. So I started having lessons with this guy named Bernard Dubreuil, which is a French guy, wow. but he lives in Montreal. I was a quick learner because the things that he taught me, I really got quick into it. And at some point he told me, he said, hey, you know, I'm doing this thing with a netno musicologist and a, a throat doctor, basically, at the uh, University of Montreal. Wow. And he asked me to participate in that experiment, which basically consists of me, another death metal vocalist. Her name is Marie-Hélène Landry, which is a death metal vocalist from Montreal. We were with a Inuit throat singer and a Tibetan throat so, singer. So wait, 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 wait. You so you had a Tibetan throat singer and Inuit throat singer, and two death metal singers. Two death metal singers, female and male. Exactly. Oh wow! So you really had like a, a full lineup of people to observe. So you went there with him. Exactly. I went there, and we had camera inserted in our throat and. Our nose. Of course, nowadays the technology is way better. The camera are smaller than they were in 1997. Oh God, they must have been kind of bulky then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because these were really huge cameras. Okay, was, you know, kind of. My, my gag reflex was like was working really hard. Yeah, to throw up those those huge uh, those huge camera. So we ended up looking at how we were producing those sounds physically like like what's happening physically when we when we do death metal vocals and when they do tibetan vocals and after the end of the exam the person was actually doing the study and also the i'm, I'm going to say the troll doctor but it, it's otorhinolaryngologist oh yeah like an uh, otolaryngologist or exactly ent doctor there's a few couple different specialists Exactly. But she's basically specialized in the voice and in vocal problems. And and right now, nowadays, today, she's one of the best in Canada. Like she's the head of, of some big organization, you know, that revolves around the voice and voice problem. So and when they look at the footage, they were amazed because the way we were producing metal vocals and the way they were doing throat singing was really similar in the sense that in throat singing, the way Tibetan monks produce the low voice that we hear, yes, you know, the, oh, a lot of people think that they sing low, yes. but technically they don't, is the double vibration of the vocal cords that are actually making a what we call a subharmonic sound, which is a sound below the note that we are singing. Yes, because clearly you can hear two pitches in the that type of sound. Yeah, but there, there's always like, oh. So this is a sound without any double vibration. Oh, oh. Correct me if I'm wrong now, because this is why I wanted to have you on. This is very yeah. fascinating. <laughs> Everyone's going to be fascinated because you're the expert on this. By the double vibration, is that a vibration of a secondary set of cartilages simultaneous with the regular vocal cords? Where are we getting the double vibration from? 
Well, it's actually, you know, because it's hard to show because, of course, this is a podcast, so I I, I can't show the footage. But let's say that, you know, uh, usually when we sing, uh, the vocal cords are vibrating. Yeah. You know, in a how do you call that movement in English? Because I I would say oscillating oscillation, maybe. Yeah. Um. So they move this way. But now when you do the double vibration, not only do they move like that, they move also like this. Oh, so from an audible perspective, he's showing with his hands uh, for the people listening two different waves, kind of one going forward. So kind of waving like the ocean and then one kind of oscillating towards the sides a little bit. But just to clarify, these double waves are coming both from the vocal folds, not a secondary set of tissues. No, not from the false vocal cords, like like sometimes it's the case with metal vocalists. But because that was the Tibetan monks and that's how they do it, they, they have a slightly different way of doing it. In tuva that that involves sometime more of the false vocal cords. But for the Tibetan monks, the double vibration happened only on the vocal cords. So the Tibetan monks have a specialized... Yes, and this is something that I have been trying to figure out for a while because I've seen a lot of different videos of, of throat singing and over singing, overtone singing, but there seems to be a variety of sounds included on that. So you are pointing out something amazingly specific, which is that the Tibetan monks are using a double vibration of the vocal folds to create the harmonic. Exactly. Wow, wow, this is mind-blowing. And that's the case with some style in Tuva and in Mongolian trout singing too. So basically, Tibetan monks, you sing a note, produce a double vibration on the vocal cords, you produce a subharmonic, and then you amplify it. So that's what they saw on the footage. Then when they analyzed the footage from the Inuit trout singer, the Inuit trout singer was mixing two different techniques. When they do... Yes, clearly that's different, right? It's different because the voice is higher, but still, it's a double vibration of the vocal cords. the The only difference is is slightly higher because when I do ha, instead when when we the Tibetan monks are like oh, so they're singing like that oh, but with the Inuit throat singer ha. So they're double vibrating on a higher pitch. Exactly. So it seems like it's not the same thing happening because we 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 don't hear the difference. You know, we hear the difference, but we think it's another phenomenon that is produced, but it's not. It's just because the note is slightly higher. Wow. So of course the subharmonic that is produced is slightly higher too. This is amazing. And it's really precise. Usually when you do double vibration on the vocal cords, the double vibration, the subharmonic that it's produced is exactly an octave below the note that you are singing. Always. Oh, so the harmonic that's produced from the double vibration, I'm just repeating this because I'm trying to make sure I understand it correctly, (laughs) is always an octave lower. So did you notice that with the higher pitch too? Is it regardless of pitch? Wow, yes. this is this is amazing. So that was the same thing for the inward throat singer. But then they're using another voice technique too, which is... Now that sounds like some vibrations of false chord cartilages or something. Exactly. And then we saw that those sound 
what we could call distortion, whatever, they were produced by false vocal cords. Now, of course, there's always the vocal cords because when we sing, the vocal cords are always active, right? It's always like, ah, ah, ah whatever sound you produce, there, there's always there. But then we saw that the false vocal cords were kind of coming over the vocal cords and just vibrating, Doing their own vibration. absorbing. Exactly, doing their own vibration. I feel like so this is, people who do a lot of the, I feel like that's what this is. Yeah. The, the, I call it the Louis Armstrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I see trees all green. Yeah, exactly. What a wonderful world. Yeah. Yeah, but, but you know, even for me, Janis Joplin in some songs, ah, there's some, there, there's some distortion going on there so, so, so i i don't think that distortion is limited to harsh metal vocalists not I at think all that, not at all i hear it in many genres yeah exactly it has been used in many different style of music in many different ways so we finished analyzing the the footage from the inuit throat singer and then we got to look at the death metal vocalist and, and that was kind of hard because the way the camera was pointed and of course it was not because there were some camera by the nose but they it was really harsh and making me gag so i was trying to keep the big camera in my mouth while doing okay that. so wait you they were putting it in your mouth instead of your nose yes. yeah that would be harder i think in the yeah. nose it goes behind the soft palate which would trigger the exactly. gag reflex less but as you mentioned at the time the sizes were very yeah. large nowadays it's a the fiber optic it's super thin <laughs> And the thing is, I have a problem with my nose, which means that it's um, the airways are, are smaller oh, because wow. of my nose problem. So, so I was like, no, it, it's not going in. <laughs> not then. Nowadays, you've got some real thin ones, but it's like, again, 30 years later. So no, but but even they were putting lots of lube on it. Like, no, it's, oh, it's no. not working. I mean, back in the day, people used to do endoscopies with a dental mirror, you know, in the mouth yeah. as well. So they put the camera in your mouth and you were still able to make the sounds. Yeah, I was still able to make the sound. It was, uh, of course, quite difficult. But we, what we were able to see was that the way we were producing the sound was, of course, we used the, the vocal cords like any singer used when he sings. But all the distortion was coming from, and, and that's what they saw. The false vocal cords was vibrating way more than, than the Inuit throat singers when they do, um, 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 you know, when they use that kind of thing. Because, of course, there's a lot more pressure. But they saw that the movement of the false vocal cord was almost similar than the one of Tibetan monks. And that's, you know, in the sense that there's two kinds of vibrations. Yes. So the way you are producing your sound and the way the Inuit and the Tibetan monks is basically the same. The, the phenomenon behind that is basically the same. You sing a note, you use a second set of vibrators. In some cases, it's the vocal cords. In some other case, it's the false vocal cords. That produces a subharmonic, and then you amplify it. So they were like, well, you're more of an extreme throat singers than what we could call a metal vocalist, because basically the voice technique is based around the same phenomenon. Singing a note using two kinds of vibration, 
made beyond the vocal cords of false vocal cords and then producing a subharmonic and then amplifying it. And that was in 97. Can you demonstrate a little bit like like uh, what you do in that extreme throat singing way? Yeah, of course. Like if if I'm doing. So if I leave out the distortion, this is the note that I'm singing. When I use my false vocal cords as the second set of vibrator that needs to be activated to produce the subharmonic, like the lower notes, because that's what we do when I sing death metal. I sing, it looks like I have a really low voice, but I don't. When I leave out the distortion, you can hear my actual voice. It's like So that. it's interesting. In a lot of low sounds like that, particularly male vocalists, I've talked about this many times in my video, and people always think that like it's so weird, but you're bringing around the point that I think, right, is that the folds sometimes touch. I call that almost like a low fry in a way, because it sounds like your chords are making some sort of contact in addition to what yeah. You're saying uh, where the distortion is coming from tissues that aren't necessarily the vocal folds, like, or at least a majority of it, largely the false chords flapping. But I also feel sensations, although this is very hard to observe because, again, cameras go behind the soft palate. But I feel flapping around. I call it flapping when the stuff, yeah. yeah, I call it rather than vibrating, like I call it flapping. Let's say oscillating. Yeah. Because for me, flapping seems something like you don't have control over. Like, you know, ah. it's flapping. For me, oscillating or vibrating is something that you have way more control over it than, than just when it's all over the place and it's just blah, 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 like something flapping because of the wind or whatever. And that's what they saw. Because, you know, when, when we discussed with the otorhinolaryngologist, most of the sound that we were producing. At that time, she thought that we could not control it. Like she thought that it was some kind of sickness or whatever of throat problems that we have, that we were producing the sound, but we were not able to control it. And actually we proved to her with the Inuit throat singer, the Tibetan throat singer and myself and Marilyn that we were actually able to control really well that kind of sound. Wow. So, so that's why I'm sorry that, that I'm correcting you. No, no, no. I want you to correct me because <laughs> this is why I want you on here. Because yeah. there are there is a level of research that you have done that very few people, including myself and other vocal coaches, have delved into. I was just thinking what a privilege it is to get to talk to you and learn this from you. <laughs> I got lucky in the sense that I just happened to love throat singing and I discovered many things about and, and I was lucky because I, I, I was taught by Tibetan monks, by, by world specialists, throat singer that are absolutely incredible in the way they can sing, but also the way they can explain it. And that's the thing. When, when I started, really started to do throat singing and to practice it, my metal voice got better. Nice. Because, you know, if... It revolves around the same phenomenon. Of course, when you're working something, it's going to have impact on other aspects of oh, your voice. Oh, yes. Just to give you an example, when I was practicing, like, because in throat singing, we do a lot of things with the lips, like, 
Yes, in harsh vocals in metal, anything that could have a harmonic overtone, this is how we change the pitch. So yeah, it makes sense. A lot of metal singers, especially in death metal genre or or other, they they, they don't really open their mouth. It's like mostly, yes. you know, they sing like, and it's like that, and they don't go. They don't open because because if sometimes they do, they will lose the distortion because they're not. It's hard to put to... the distortion on the highs. I try to teach people to exactly. do that on exactly. high, mid, and low with their mouth. Yeah, like making them slide it so that they're not stuck in lows. But you nailed a point when I'm teaching people, especially like what I just did. There was an open vocal cord, just the false chords. I mean, I think the vocal cords kind of flap. Well, not flap, <laughs> oscillate. They oscillate. Put the false chords in there, but <laughs> it's the same concept is the mouth shape is changing the overtone. But yeah, I do find most people have a hard time putting the distortion on the ah shape as opposed to the O shape. But then when you're stuck in the O shape, as you mentioned, it's just one pitch. So <laughs> Exactly. So with throat singing, I got used to produce a subharmonic or, you know, we can call it a distortion while being able to move my lips and use it in, in different ways. So when I apply that to my metal vocals, instead of just singing like that, I was able to be better. And, and it helped me actually pronounce the words that I was singing. Enunciation, you know, not just like, you know, vocals where we only hear U and O while they, you know, when, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so, and for me, you know, I was concerned because I, even if I try, you know, it's like, okay, I'm a death metal vocals. I don't need to be unnecessary, unnecessarily unclear about the words that I sing. And that's hard, you know, to be able to work, to keep your distortion, to keep your voice, and then trying to pronounce every words that Comes oh out. yeah, so much pronunciation you can't really it, it, do. Exactly. So so throat singing helped me with that. It's like I work with throat singing and I got better with my metal vocals. Other thing, you know, if I'm if I was going to try and change the note, because of course, you know, we do a form of sitting, which is what I'm going to call, I don't know if it's the right term in English, but monotone. No, that's it's the like, same term. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so we sing always with the like, I will do what makes up, but we rarely change the note. Like, oh, we do what makes up. You know, we we don't play a lot with that, but with throat singing, we do. So when I was trying throat singing, there's one of the things that we, oh, so uh -huh. we play with the different notes while trying to conserve the distortion, and again. It helped me with my metal voice, being able to translate what I've learned in throat singing in actual, you know, death metal vocals that I was doing. And even the other exercise that I did, you know, because, you know, tongue placement is something that really huge for, for metal vocalists because yes. it, it, it comes and it helps produce different sounds. Yes. But there's actually an exercise when we when you you actually study overtone singing or what we call diphonic singing on or what they call here in 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 the uh, tuvo siget, you actually producing 
what they call an overtone. So it's not a subharmonic. It's something that comes out of the sound that you're producing. So to give you an example. Oh, yes. Yes. I've heard these type of high harmonic, super harmonic type of overtone singing. And I know it's very different from the throat singing. I'm glad we're getting into this because there are several types of overtone singing and that is one of them. And so what you're doing there is. Is actually I'm, I'm, you know, I, the way I explain it technically is at first I'm blocking the airways with the back of the tongue. It's like, oh, so the tongue is like, block all the the, the 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 hair from flowing out and then i leave a small opening and then the way i place my tongue is the tip of my tongue is behind my upper feet but then it's it doesn't touch it and then that that is the tongue placement who actually select the harmonics so the harmonic selection are done with with the with, with the tongue so you have to be really precise to it so your every tongue harmonic placement chooses the harmonic exactly wow so you learned like very subtle movements with the tongue to change that harmonic tiny movements that makes wow. a, a huge difference in, in the harmonic that you are selecting fascinating so fascinating. <laughs> So for me, that was something that got me really good at be good with the way I place my tongue and the way I amplify, you know, because the overall for me, it's like, okay, you produce a distortion or let's call it double vibration, whatever you produce that, that subharmonic and then you amplify it. So everything related to the tongue and the jaw placement really helps the final product, like the final touch yes, absolutely. the overall sound yeah. that, that you are producing. So for me, all the, these exercises that I did in trotting it with my tongue and also with just like using my jaw and my lips to do some small harmonic, like just using my lips to do that, it got me better with the overall sound of my metal vocals because we basically work on the same thing that than throat singers we, it's just like if i were to compare throat singing and metal it's like throat singing is like tai chi and death metal or metal vocals it's like kung fu it's way faster there's way more pressure that there, there's yes you know, but but it's still basically some of the same movements some of the same things but one you learn to go really slow and one you learn to go faster. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and and so, you know, you've been using these sounds. This is just so fascinating. Uh, and you've been using all of these different sounds in the different areas of your life, not just your uh, not just with necrotic <laughs> mutation, your band, right? You you how I discovered you was from the Growlers Choir. Um, yeah. which is phenomenal. Let's talk about that. It's a totally unique use of harsh vocals and throat singing. Uh, tell us about the Growler Choir, how that came to be, what that is, and what you're trying to do with that. It's a friend of ours, which is called Pierre-Luc Sénécal. He wanted to do that kind of thing for years. That, that was basically like 
he taught about the choir of metal vocalists and, and uh, you know, he, in his career, he envisioned that at some point he would have to do that because he, he, you know, is is more into modern music. He studied music at, at, at university, uh, uh, acoustic music or, or different kind of uh, um new form, let's say, of, of music, a classical music, stuff like that. But he's a metal guy. He, lo he loves metal. And, and, and that's something he always wanted to do. So at some point, he just basically sent an invitation, an open invitation to metal vocalists here in Quebec saying, hey, I want to do this choir thing. So you want to be part of it? Just like send me an email. You know, and for me, the idea of being more than one metal vocalist because I, I always like you know because when i when we recorded with necrotic mutation in 95 i had a female metal vocalist with me for one song and the mix of those two voices for me was so amazing that being just not one metal vocalist but two and that the voice um, i always like when we did show i i, I bring i bring her along to, 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 to sing the song. And for me, just having more than one voice and that the voice was, were mixing together. That was just amazing. So when I, when I saw that, I was like, Oh my God, imagine a choir. That is for me. That was my, my, a wet dream. That <laughs> is so like, cool. A choir. Oh, yes. Is a, a choir that, that that's going to be so powerful. So we got to work with Pierre Luc. He composed actually a, a first song um, a couple of years ago that was The Day King. So it was a mixture of kind of electroacoustic ambient music, but using metal vocalists as, you know, to emphasize and to come like just put some powerful things together and just like, boom, it. You know, I, in that song, when you listen to it, there's some part where if you listen, you can easily imagine that you are in hell. That's for me. That was the best way. <laughs> that it. was the best way to describe it. That's okay. Those moments, it's like you know, if you're wondering how hell sounds like, this is it. Like <laughs> this is the, this is the sound. That's the whole idea, right? Those to paint something intense like that with the colors of that. Yeah. And it's and of course for this song there there was a poet was actually reading a poem so there was not only harsh vocalists like singing like crazy, uh, uh, but of course at some point when when he created the song, he wanted all the different kind of voice technique that we could do. So of course I said, hey, I'm doing throat singing and this person is doing throat singing and so maybe we could show it to the other, so they can actually learn it and try it and you know i've been in and out of teaching harsh vocal slash throat singing for like 10 years and all the exercises that i give to my student are basically throat singing based because for me it's just different level of controls and instead of sometimes using harsh vocal like with a lot of hair and with a lot of pressure sometimes it, as you as you know, it's art for the voice. So the way I start is I start by making them do really small forms of double vibration that it seems easy, but it's not, but it's easier on the voice because you are giving yourself kind of a muscle memory of how to produce distortion. And then I go from there, I start very little. And then 
I had a pressure and I had more pressure. And then at some point it becomes throat singing. And then at some other point, it becomes what I call the cookie monster stage of of (laughs) what I'm showing to people. And I basically show them the cookie monster song, C is for cookie. I love that. Because when you listen to that, for me, it's, it's, and I'm sorry, I'm stepping away a bit from the growl choirs, but we'll get back to it. No, no, no. All the technical stuff and podcasts are meant to be that way. We go on little tangents, (laughs) on a little journey. So yeah, this is what people are here for, this meat of the technique. You know, I add a cookie monster, um, how do you say that in English when it's, in French, it's tutu. It's a small figure of... A toy, a stuffed animal. Yeah, stuffed animal. Thank you. Because <laughs> in French, it's tutu. tutu. But That's it, so, it's so not... much cuter. That's yeah, much tutu. better. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a stuffed cookie monster when I was five. And I was fascinated by his voice. Like, really. And, and, and that was funny because I was always more fascinated with the evil characters in comic books and in anime. And, in, you know, when you listen to... Cobra Commander. And if you listen carefully, okay, G.I. Joe, we're going to catch you all. Like he's using vocal distortion. And when you listen to Starscream in, in, in the, uh, in the uh, 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 Autobot and in the Transformers, like, Autobot, let's kill. It, it, wow. They use, so for me, the evil character were always way more fascinating than any of course i did not tell my friend that i like the bad guy more <laughs> than because of course everybody's rooting for oh yes amen yes but i love the voice of skeletor the voice actor there, there were actually a couple who did skeletor but i really loved their voice and of course now that i think about what i'm doing now it makes even more sense that i was attracted to those really weird voices because yeah, it was natural for you exactly so there's a stage in my teaching that i call the cookie monster where you start to use actual the more the false vocal cords than actual double vibration on the vocal cords so there's a stage but it's always like what i call level first level really smooth distortion that you're producing you're making your vocal cords vibrating the double vibration but it's really smooth it's like uh, but in, okay i haven't warmed up properly <laughs> but that sounds exactly like what a lot of times we call a fry exactly but at some point you can really control the vibration and, and it it becomes like a really smooth and round sound. It's not as like. Yeah, is it something like. Uh, or yeah, that's like me doing it. See, I can do it softer or louder. I feel like one sound like this is just my vocal folds right here and no other tissues like. Uh, but then I feel like the bigger one is both that and other tissues. Like that's an overtone. I don't find myself singing that. Yeah, for me, once I discover overtones, I, I I could hear them like all over the place after. after yeah, that. right, right, and you can hear it's it's like bah! it's not really like where you would be sing, you know. And, and even when I sing now, like just normally, there's always kind of a harmonic 
quality to the overall sound. It's something that I, I even if I want it, I cannot lose it. Like it, it's just there. It, it's it's in my my in my vocal instrument now. But I'm gonna try it. But like I said, I've I haven't warmed up properly, and usually I do like twenty to thirty minutes of warm up before. Certainly, yeah. You know anything? But it's. It almost sounds like a voice, like oscillating between a voice vibration and another kind of vibration. Yeah, but it's really like... uh, Wow. At some point, it, it becomes almost like throat singing, but on a scale that is really smoother and, and with not that much pressure. So that's basically like, this is level one. And then after level two, it's more like, oh, and um, and, and with the, the, the Tuvan throat singer, like, so this is Tuvan throat singing and Tibetan throat singing. So that's for me, it's basically level two. And then there's Cookie Monsters and there's their, the metal stuff, you know, the, 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 the deeper kind of gorilla thing. <laughs> and it's funny because I always show, a, you know, the owling monkeys there in Brazil, or I don't remember where there they There was are. a lot of monkeys in Brazil when I went there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they but, howl, but, but, but I was surprised. But, but they, you know, they could be, that metal singers it's incredible the way they are like yeah they phonate with a lot of other tissues because a lot of animals don't have the same kind of vocal folds as we do so they're really making a lot of bizarre phonations like that right exactly but when you look at them when they do those deep sounds they're always advancing their job Uh like i do when i sing and the way their mouth are placed you know, the, 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 um, the cheek are really like there's a tension in the cheek that it, it, and that's the exact same way when I sing metal or any throat singing, or I always advance my jaw like this and my cheek, the position, like it's my, 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 my lips are, are not smooth. They're kind of a bit tense. And when I sing or throat singing, so it helps for the overall amplifying sound of 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 what i'm what i'm doing you know when gorilla are getting pissed and they <laughs> and they they are getting angry so so this is one of the exercises that i make people do because you start with a smooth distortion with not a lot of hair compression and then you get to control the pressure and you have to keep the distortion active while slowly playing with the wow. pressure mm-hmm. and and i found out that there's a lot of people who thought that this would be hurtful for their voices and they can actually and, and instinctively produce that kind of thing it's probably something you have experience when you are teaching whatever but when you are teaching harsh vocal is that you get into a lot of technical stuff when you explain yes. and it kind of takes away the instinctive aspect of what we let's say screaming okay let's call let's call it that because for me we are born screaming yes have you ever heard of a baby who had throat problems or vocal cords problem because he was screaming for hours no no that's a valid point 
because it's instinctive. Yes. Everybody can do that. And we do it when we are born into this world. We scream our, our lungs out for hours. Babies create super harmonics too. Extremely high, excruciating. <laughs> wow, you do that so good. <laughs> <laughs> But it's brilliant. <laughs> but it's more a little bit more nasal, but but still, it's still a form of distortion that we produce naturally. Nobody taught us how to do that because we were just been born, You're right? Right, yeah. And when you explain stuff to people, sometimes they get they can get really into their head and they can they, they are trying to imagine how to produce it, and sometimes it's just way more easier than they think. Like one exercise that I'm usually asking them to produce is just try and imitate. You know, the sound of some, some you know, in the morning you set the alarm so it wakes you up. How do you call that in English? That's just an alarm clock, I think, you know. Alarm clock. I'm sorry. That's the French guy but again. No, no, please don't apologize because like I said, uh, you're doing so much better than I would do. And, and you know, those alarm clocks, sometimes they have, they sound like, eh, eh. Yes, yes. What you do when you just prolong the sound that you... That is throat singing. So instead of... Sometimes I explain the whole thing, but sometimes instead of asking them to... You know, to, okay, we're going to try this. And they, they kind of... You, you can almost see the brain working like on how to produce. Well, all I'm asking is really just please imitate the sound that you're hearing. Because that's the way I learn how to sing metal, by imitation. And that's also what I've learned with throat singing. I was trying to imitate what my teacher was doing. So imitation is sometimes really intuitive, more than when we explain all the technical stuff. You know, for some people, it's really hard. While, like I said, we are born screaming. Screaming is instinctive to us. And, and, and at some point, in our life, we associate screaming with bad emotion. Like, when do we scream? When we are angry and when we have pain. So at some point, it became something negative. Yes. While when we start our lives, it's not necessarily negative. It's just you're trying to express yourself, but you don't have all the vocabulary to do so. I'm angry. I, <laughs> I need, you know, I need people to change me because I'm full of shit. And then, <laughs> and then I, I want some milk. That's true. And then at some point, the words you are learning and you need less and less to scream. So you kind of lose this natural kind of thing that you were born with. And of course, over the years, you associate it with angriness or with just pain, but it's not that. So there's a lot of people who have, you know, who blocks of like blocking mechanism to learn harsh vocal because they usually associate that with bad emotion and, 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 and some, some negative things. So I know we were talking about the growling, the growlers. Quiet. This is more of what I would hope to talk to you about, to be honest. So basically everything that I'm showing when I'm teaching are based on protein exercise. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. And there, there's like, I explained different levels of throat singing that I, that I teach. And it's so funny because a lot of people end up doing, being better at throat singing than at harsh vocal at the end, even if they're looking for harsh vocal and to better their, their, their uh, I always explain there's, 
a, a link between the two. And if you get good at throat singing, you can get good at harsh vocal yeah because there there is and, and you know and it's funny because when you look at the scientific literature for harsh vocal there's not a lot not right? very much most of it's not exactly. even literature it's like you've got to watch the video that a guy did or something like that yeah enrico di lorenzo and it is divinity is otorhinolaryngologist he did some work research on, on oh on, the vocalist of hideous divinity Exactly. But when you look at it, there's not much. But when you look at the scientific literature for throat singing, there's tons and tons of city. And I'm like, maybe if we see harsh vocal as extreme throat singing, maybe we could find more echo of our work and then more explanation about the different aspect of, of harsh vocal under the throat singing what I call family, because there are many styles of throat singing as there are many styles of harsh vocal. But like like I said, for me, harsh vocal is basically throat singing, but maybe more modern form of throat singing. Interesting, yes. You, we, we use it differently. Uh, of, co- of course, the culture has an effect on the way we use things. So when you go into bed, they sing religious thing with their voices. When you go into up north in Quebec with the Inuit community, they're singing about dogs. They're singing about the snow. When you go to Tuva and Mongolia, they're singing about planes, about uh, uh, horses, about their chiptal, about different things. But when you look at the way we use our harsh vocal is to basically describe what is wrong in society. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's very cathartic, right? So you can write about things that you maybe couldn't express as aggressively in regular speech or regular day-to-day life, you know? It's an outlet for that. The way I see it, we can use it to describe anything. Like, you know, and when you just listen to Amorphous singing about the bees... (laughs) yeah exactly well i used to i used to just walk around saying things to people in harsh especially my sister you know she who loves me for that (laughs) but the thing is we were kind of conditioned to think that we could only express bad thing with harsh vocal right because because the model that we had in you know the the the, at the end of the 80s and the start of the 90s were cannibal corpse napalm death arbitrary or, or bands that were singing about horrible things in life and in society. And, and I remember when I heard a, an interview with Chuck Schuldiner from Death, and he explained why he was basically using different kind of lyrics, because, you know, it was kind of childish for him just to sing about those things. And he, for me, he showed me that we could sing about anything. Yes. While we are doing harsh vocal, it was not only bad things. It was not only an horror movie, basically an horror movie translated into a song. We could talk about anything. And for me, it, it influenced me so much that I remember in 95, when we recorded our first album with Necrotic Mutation, of course, there's some stuff about serial killers. because It's still, a death metal band. I mean, yeah, it, it influenced, but, but there were songs about you know, life and and, and, and and the harmony in life. There was a song about our friend who died in 94. There was kind of a tribute to him. There was a song about 
kind of a dream, but you dream. It was kind of a, a, a not sexual, but sensual kind of sound with a mixture of there's a vampire kind of, we don't know, but it's a vampire female that comes into your dreams and haunts you. So for me, that was like, I, I began to explore different topics with, with, with harsh vocal uh, um, instead of just basically cutting people up in my lyrics. <laughs> yes. So it changed me a lot. But like I was saying, there's a lot of things that we really should consider in harsh vocal, like, and really pushing for scientific studies about what we are doing because as you know the people are are using oh this is fry no this is and they call it another name and then we have so many different names oh god that's been one of my goals with the channel is to yeah. try to create some really tangible definitions and some names for these things and and you you've taken things further into detail and i and the easiest way for me to classify them is sort of like what the state of the vocal folds is uh, in each one. Are they making a pitch, a definitive pitch with it? Like, hey, you know, like an actual voiced note that you can hear. It's not quite as extreme, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, or the other category I, I, I would have is, are they fully compressed? Are they completely shut? Ah! You know, like that. Uh, or are they uh, just resting uh, sort of open? Uh, uh, and that's the way I've sort of divided it. But yeah. as you keep mentioning, there are subdivisions of these things and different combinations that people can do. But it's like it's so detailed and complicated. You have to break it down to uh, the way I look at it is you've got to break it down to some way that someone learning it can sort of understand. That's hard because in throat singing, they have very precise wording for every phenomenon that is produced because it has been studied scientifically. And I think that's what we lack in order to better understand what what we are actually doing, there needs to be further scientific studies into harsh vocal. Yes. And, and I think for me, like I said, the way they studied throat singing, this is the way we have to go. But because there are so many similarities between the two, technically, even if, if it's culturally very different, technically, there's so many similarities that, that we have to take that and and the studies that has been done in throat singing and we have to take that into account while studying harsh vocal and while trying to arrive with terms that are precise into describing yes. exactly what we are yes. doing and it's hard because i know like like there's even like piggy squeal pig squeal style that there's so many like <laughs> and that's why i started with just like okay if i can i know for sure in the videos i've seen and and what i'm doing like the folds my vocal folds do this this and this and i put it into three basic categories but as you mentioned there are so many other levels because you're also making me realize here then in many of the things that I'm calling fry, yes, the chords are touching, but there's many things that they can be doing. Uh, they can have a double vibration and things like that. And um, so, you know, again, uh, the folds are slightly doing even further subdivisions than what I am saying. And it's it definitely um, and it's hard because we don't have tactile nerve endings in a lot of well, yeah. in the vocal folds, obviously in our other folds, we do. I can definitely feel when the false chords really 
move around a lot. And also I feel a lot of distortion sensations in the soft palate and the uvula and the sinuses, sometimes in the tonsil bed area, although I don't have tonsils, but I've had people with and without tonsils. It doesn't seem to make a difference because they're not much difference. Yeah. They're not a big, they're not particularly loose tissues, so they don't really, uh, oscillate much but um i feel all these things oscillating and moving and um when i'm making these sounds but the the thing is is um other than that it's very loose in general and without looking in there it's very hard to tell what some people are doing everybody's always expecting me on youtube to say what people are doing by ear and i get pretty close because from teaching i can usually tell all right, I'm pretty sure the folds are open here. I'm pretty sure the folds are touching here. And that's what everybody, and, the, and this is so funny because um, there's vocalists talking about things and doing tutorials and they uh, themselves don't actually know what they're doing. So they'll give it a name yeah. and people will go, well, this guy does this thing. And I'm like, yeah, but this person doesn't as good of a vocalist as they are. It's They've gone off their instinct. They've gone off of natural ability and they have never researched yeah. it themselves and they don't actually know what they're doing so they've given it a name but is that the same name i'm calling it is that the same name you're calling it probably not no exactly but but when you look at throat singing studies they're of course they're looking at the whole the whole instrument but they're mostly looking at oscillating patterns okay how does the vocal cords oscillate how is there the false vocal cords who oscillate too? How are the two different oscillation working together to produce a sound? And of course, there's, you know, when depending on how you use your throat, if you, if you constrict the throat or not, there's a difference in the sound. The way you place your tongue, your, your thong, there's a difference in the sound. The way you place your jaw, there can be a difference in the sound. The way you, you use the open palate or not, there's a difference in the sound. But basically, it's all about oscillating patterns. And, and this is what I've been saying saying a lot about especially with male vocalists because for the most part a lot of harsh vocals are audibly genderless it's hard you it's almost impossible to tell if it's male or female but men do have much much longer larynxes um yeah. by uh, by an astonishing amount <laughs> um set seven to ten millimeters longer than a female's larynx even someone like me who has an extremely low voice it's still not particularly long it's the three-dimensional width of my folds giving it that yeah uh ability but the point is is um when i'm here people i've had this theory for a long time that we get this closed cord uh not necessarily open vocal cords you know there's this perception in the metal community that you can only do lows and gutturals with open vocal folds but i found this to be not the case at all and that uh with especially male vocalists many many times what we hear is gutturals are the folds touching making contact it's very similar to what you did earlier for your lows and um where you were where you were uh saying well there's my voice pitch under there you can you know when i take the distortion away your folds are touching they contact to make a pitch and um i i find that when you have a resonator cavity that's really huge and it lowers the larynx i mean it creates what most of what we hear is guttural uh, and so, and and people think that's crazy that I think it's the folds touching, but I, it, I, in my opinion, when I do it, I touch the folds. Um, I can do it without touching the folds, but it's like, <gasps> my folds are 
making a contact in there, um, even though that's a low pitch. It wouldn't be as low as if you did it, though. With a larynx that's 7 to 10 millimeters longer, yeah. it is going to have lower it, it, harmonics. So It obviously may, make, makes a, a, a difference. But even with those differences, when you look at the phenomenon, the way you are producing the sound, like I said, it's it's basically the same. There are a few variances, but it's it's... And, and that's why for me, I've always after that, after what I did in 97 and after that, considered myself more of an extreme throat singer, more in the throat singing family than, than anything else. Like we think, I know that most of us think we invented something when we did, when we started doing harsh vocal and we think like it's fairly new, but it's not. And there's a vocal tradition behind what we are doing and the vocal tradition comes from the Tibetan monks and the Inuit throat singer. So we have a, 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 a huge family tree that we are not aware of and, and that we should really look into that to better understand what we are doing now. Because I, I really do think that at the end of the throat singing family tree, we have harsh metal vocalists. Wow, this is this is so <laughs> true though, and the way you've described the research and the way that the sounds and the phonations are produced, um, I can totally agree with you on that. I absolutely <laughs> see that. And you've also made me revisit some ideas. For example, I've always had the impression that when I do a, a very distinctively, what I call voice with distortion, where there's where my vocal folds are largely oscillating and vibrating in the way they would phonate a normal pitch like this uh, to me it always feels like it's doing the same thing as it would do without distortion and that the distortion is coming from my largely my soft palate and my uvula not even that much like a little bit in the false chords but you've kind of made me rethink that and that perhaps i am creating some secondary vibrations I would think so, because if, if you look at a voice uh, oscillating patterns with Tibetan monks and Inuit throat singer, it, of course, you know, the overall instrument help us shape the sound. But I, I really do believe that the vibration, the distortion aspect of what we are doing comes from different oscillating patterns. So like, for example... Like this sound, like, hey, hey, like that doesn't really feel like my vocal folds are participating in the distortion. It feels like, hey, I'm sorry. Hey, hey, hey. But I'm sure if, if we were to look really meticulously with a camera at the different oscillating pattern between the two. I'm sure it would show a small difference. Interesting. So not just the engagement of additional tissues on top of the pitch, because I definitely feel yep. those. That's providing the bulk of the distortion. But that, that the vocal folds themselves might actually be making some of the distortion. And this is phenomenal, because to me, the, the way that vocal folds sit, they're almost tendony, but they are folds. They're layers of tissues. You know, you can put waves through those tissues. Exactly. Like I said, when you do two vibration, you produce an octave below the note. And the thing is, I've heard people and myself, I was also able to do three types of vibration on my vocal cords. And what it does, it does not only produce an octave below the note, it produces an octave and a fifth. If you wow. look, when you are producing those sound, if you are analyzing the sound with a spectrograph, you can easily see the different subharmonic 
Like there, there's, it's you have sure. the sound that you're producing when you analyzer. sing, but you can exactly see that there's something eight notes above what you are singing. But there's also another thing that is darker, like a fifth below the the octave that you are producing. This is wild because I've said, especially in fry screams, I always hear an octave. And usually at a lower volume, I hear a fifth. This is bizarre. So like that uh, by the fry, I mean um, the compressed folds where yeah. I was going. Ah! Like I feel like here. Like I feel like I hear a lot of stuff in there. Maybe a whole like one, three, five, eight in there. You know what I mean? If you actually listen. My hypothesis would be that it comes from different oscillating patterns on the vocal cords wow, because when heck? you look at throat singing this is actually how they do it this is actually how they produce three different notes undertones or, or subharmonic and you can see them and you can you know it, it's hard to hear but you can hear the difference when, when there's somebody who can actually do it you can really see it on a spectrograph like there's the note that you're singing there's something darker an octave below the note that you're singing, and there's a fifth there, something darker around the fifth. So like I said, for me, we have to go back and look at oscillating pattern in, in a harsh vocal, I think, to better explain. I, I know it's still an hypothesis, like it, it hasn't been proven scientifically, but if you look at throat singing and what they were able to prove scientifically, I think we're pretty close to that. <laughs> wow, this is so fascinating. And I really wish uh, we had more time to talk, um, but <laughs> but we can ha we'll have you on for a second episode because you're just so fascinating. I just wanted to end it by kind of just briefly touching on one of the big things that you do is you act with these sounds. And I have coached yeah. a number. I have I have coached a surprising, a surprisingly large number of voice actors on harsh and extreme vocals because of this massive media production era we live in. And because so much of it is not real visuals, it's like cartoons and um, video games and animated computer animation, whatever it may be. So let's just briefly touch on how does one become a voice actor in extreme vocals? How did you get into that? Well, I, you know, I, I feel like all my career is just a big accident. Like everything that I've learned, I, I've felt accidentally on throat singing. I felt and, and the way I started doing voice acting for video games is that one of my friends who actually knew me because I, I, I sang with his band, which was more of a rock band. And they, they did a song and they wanted a death metal vocalist just to give it more power <laughs> to the song. So I, I did some song with a rock band uh, and he started to work with Ubisoft. Ubisoft is a huge company in the world. There's an office in Montreal. Oh, Ubisoft. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they they called me. They had, they were looking for weird voices. He gave my name, and then I got there and I started looking at monster. I, I'm, you know, we have to say I'm I'm kind of a geek person, so I play a lot of video oh, games. This is most metal people, you know. I have 16 video game console at home, and the, the oldest one is actually in television from 1989. Oh, I saw you posting the in television, and I was like, God, I haven't seen one of those in years. I have Atari, ColecoVision, Gemini. I have, you know, I have. Oh, yeah, a that's lot. the other one, ColecoVision. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So I'm really into retro 
gaming, but I've always been a gamer. So for me, when I went to Ubisoft and they showed me those creatures, I was like, hey, I got an idea for a, a sound for each. So I went into the studio and funny thing, that was my first time and I really wanted to prove that I was good doing that because I was like, this is so cool. So they, they scheduled me for eight hours of screaming for two days. So 16 hours. Of oh, screaming. God. So they didn't understand, like, this is not really, this is way too much. Yeah. And, and at the end of the second day, I was bleeding. Like, I was, I was spitting oh, blood. God. Yeah. Like, really, because that was way too much. Way too much for anyone. No, no. Even for a death metal vocalist, mm-hmm. you know, who was trained and eight has, hours is ridiculous. Yeah, th- that was a long time. And then after that, they were like, "Okay, that was good." And then I got called for a second game where I did for Assassin's Creed. Basically, when you poison somebody in Assassin's Creed and the person is choking on his saliva and mucus, that was me doing. That's so great. So now everybody, when you're playing Assassin's Creed, you know where that sound came from. But most people don't realize someone has to record those sounds. We think it, we take it for granted. People also take the Foley uh, for granted, like the general noises of like the door closing, the book opening, the page, whatever it is. And they have to produce those someone sounds. Someone has to make all those sounds for the game, you know, and the voice. And, and recently you just did some big stuff, right? With the... Resident Evil game? We've announced two big games. One is Dark Alliance Dungeon and Dragon from Wizard of the Coast. And then, of course, That's Dead a... by Daylight, the yes. Resident Evil kind of DLC thing. Uh, um, and actually, yeah, I, I was glad because I I was able to get more friends because, you know, the Monster Factory, because this is my company now, we, we have 15 metal vocalists that we use for to voice monsters, zombie and creatures and video games. And we, we kind of construct this company over time, like because when I started, I was alone. And then at some point, companies started to ask me like, hey, we need more people to do voices. So I I asked a few people back then, metal vocalists, hey, would you like to do that? And over time, that's how I built the team that I have right now, just by adding people up here and there because we needed to do more voices for creatures and stuff. Um, and, and now we have 15 metal vocalists, and, and that was the first time that I was going in United States to do the to do the casting because they wanted an American accent. So for me, I was like, okay, I know metal vocalists in the state, and they were looking for very specific voice. So I, I spoke with those people. So I was, okay, so this is the kind of person that could do that voice. And it was not harsh vocal. It's really normal stuff, like mostly what we call environmental noises, like, Ugh, ah! Some of my uh, voice actor clients have called those effort sounds. Effort, but, but it's not only effort. It's pain sound. It's dead sound. It's die, you die by lightning. You die by fire. You <laughs> die by ice. You are breathing. You are seeing the player and you have to taunt them. There's so many different kind of things. For me, effort is just one of the noise that I need to make in the whole family of, of, of noises. But yeah, over time, we build the Monster Factory. And and uh, and at some point, I started directing metal vocalists because I'm not only a voice actor, I'm also a voice director. So in studio, I use what I know to direct artists and make sure they respect the noises that we have to produce and send to the client. Uh, so I've been doing it for 15 years. Uh, now, of course, I started really slowly with one contract every two, three years. And then now it's more like 
between eight and 10, depending on the year's contract. But we really specialize in monster creatures, zombie, sorceress, because for me, the best people to actually do those kind of voices are metal vocalists, because they have the proper techniques, voice technique that that is required to do that kind of thing. And they can produce those sound naturally, because most of the video game company, even today, and in the movie industry, are still using animal sounds or software to modify the voice to do those kind of things. Wow. And with the way you guys do it sounds so much better. Like if the sound is actually correct, like effects never really do it. Like, because I always say to people, when people go, oh, the distortion, the weird noises you're making are just effects. I go, well, what sound? There is no effect like that, first of all. There's like some overdrives. Like there's nothing really that can make something that's not a harsh vocal into a harsh vocal, like driving it over. But again, it doesn't really sound the same. But at the same time, I would say, what sound would you do into the microphone that you think you could put through a plug-in? Would you just be like, uh? I mean, like, seriously, what, what noise would you even turn into something even if there was effect would you just be like uh and like expect an effect to turn it into a scream i'm like i don't even get how that would work so you it's never as effective ever no exactly and when i hear because i play a lot of video game and when I, i i can hear when it's a real human and basically for me it's almost a game breaking experience when 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 i can just basically hear that they played with the pitch and they put some reverb because a lot of monster low, just it's just a, a reverb, and you can hear that they play with the pitch. And for me, it's like, holy shit! They spend millions of dollars into this game experience that they want to show us, and it has to be realistic in a lot of ways. They've hired a you know a orchestra, you know big orchestra. They have this incredible visual, and when it comes down to monster, they just like. Ah, we're going to put a pig and a bear and a walrus sound. We're going to mix it together and make people believe it's really scary. And you're right. It's never that realistic sound. Exactly. Well, sometimes, you know, like creature like Godzilla and stuff like that. Okay. I can get why they would use, you know, animal sound. But for me, like on some video games, sometimes they use me as a bass sound. You know, a distorted voice, natural, and they add some layers over it. But at least at the art of the sound, there's always a human voice that can act. And for me, that's what makes the difference. Yeah. Why Gollum was so popular? Not only because of the voice, because there was an actor behind the suit that was actually acting while they were filming. Yeah. So, so the human element, like in the movie Shape of Water, there was a guy behind the suit that was not CGI. I, and I'm the kind of guy who preferred the old Star Wars because it was puppet and there was a human manipulating the puppet instead of just CGI being like kind of inventing out of the blue. For me, this is not natural. This is not how I like things, you know, in, in video game and in movie. I, I like when the effects are natural and they're naturally produced. Uh, so for me, like the best thing out there to do those kind of noises are bar none, metal vocalist. And that's why we created the Monster Factory. So if you have a video game <laughs> company, hit up the Monster Factory. Because <laughs> it's going to sound real. Well, I just wanted to say that is, that's unfortunately, that's all the time we have for. But 
I could talk to you for hours. And so we will definitely do a part two in the future with Sebastian because you are utterly fascinating. I think this is going to be one of the most fascinating episodes of the Voice Hacks podcast we'll get to have. Thank you so much for your rare and unique technical insight and for sharing it with us. I mean, folks, this is gold. If you're listening to this, save this episode. You know, it's really, really valuable. As we talked about, there's very little research on some of this stuff. So your insight and your knowledge is just so valuable and phenomenal. Sebastian Croteau, everybody. Necrotic Mutation, The Monsters Factory. Look him up. Where can they follow you on Instagram and yeah, but on Twitter, we're on, but it's actually under the French name, La Fabrique de Monstres, which is the Monster Factory. For now, we're going to have a, a, an English one soon, uh, but right now it's La Fabrique de Monstres, the Monster Factory. But I'm pretty sure if you just Google the Monster Factory, you're going to end up going on the website and all the social media are, are, are actually there. But, you know, I just wanted to thank you also because it, it's something knowing about different things, but it's another thing being able to share that with knowledgeable people that can understand what you are actually talking about. And for me, you're definitely one of those persons. So I really want to thank you for, for having me and, and giving me the chance to, to share, you know, my passion about the voice and, and what I discovered over the years. And yes, it, it has been an honor being able to, to share that with you. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you. That's so kind of you. Thank you. It's been an honor for me too. Everybody look up Sebastian and we look forward to seeing the next level that the video games go to everything you're going to do with the Monsters Factory and the Growler Choir in the future. That wraps up this episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. 